<laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 11, Episode 15. I'm your host, Otis Chirey, and in this episode, I'll be performing three tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Corpse Child. Tonight, you'll hear tales of redemptive infidelities, cruises in both body and mind, sudden death situations, the literal kind. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the tear, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now... It's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We all make mistakes as people, but some mistakes carry far more weight than others. Some might even be unforgivable. But a man reveals his infidelity to his long-suffering wife in hopes of saving their marriage. He may find his attempts to fix things may not be quite as reciprocal as he would hope. Without further ado, I present to you what Sheila wants. I just wanted to make her happy, that's all. I just wanted to make her happy with me again. Was that so wrong? I mean, 
What did I do to deserve this? Uh, Okay, so maybe I cheated. But I have felt horrible for it and wanted to make up to her. Sheila, if you're reasoning this, I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. Please, let me go. God, what am I supposed to do? A couple of nights ago, while at a party, I was going to town to see Clarissa, the dirty little secret side piece I mentioned before. I remember how dull it felt, and I almost couldn't finish. She hadn't either, even after 12 straight minutes. Eventually, I managed to make it work before I called it quits that night and headed home. I was actually getting kind of sick of the old routine, stinking out just about every Friday night and running around with Clarissa at parties. It was fun for a while. There, I, I said it. But it didn't feel right anymore. We'd been doing it for over three months by then, and I guess I was finally growing a bit of a conscience near the end, you know? And of course, I knew Sheila wasn't buying my lame-ass, got-caught-up-at-work-late-again stories anymore. Hell, looking back, I wouldn't be surprised if she never believed that lie to begin with. Either way, I knew by the way she'd grown distant with me after about the fifth or sixth time that she was about done with me. Make no mistake, I loved her. I still do. I always will. But I don't know. I guess I just needed a bit more. I know how messed up that sounds. And believe me, whether or not I actually survive this, I know my place in hell is booked for that. Nevertheless, I love Sheila. And I hope she can realize this somewhere in my heart. So anyway, that was the night I finally broke things off with Clarissa for good. I decided I needed to be a man and come clean with my wife. Even if she knew already, I knew it was going to continue eating away at me unless I got it out. The way I figured, she'd at least respect my apology a little more, finding it a bit to be, well, a bit more genuine if I just came out and said it. When I got home, I found her on the couch, the lights dim. All right, Ted, you can do this. Just spit it out. Uh, look, honey, I've been fooling around behind your back with another woman. Her face was stone-cold, numb when I said this. I stood frozen, waiting for her to do or say something. The silence hung in the air for a solid moment. The two of us locked in a staring contest. Granted, I wasn't sure what I expected her to say or do. Would she cry? Maybe tell me she hated me and that I broke her heart. Maybe she'd retaliate by telling me she'd been to screwing another guy as well. I wasn't sure whether to duck and cover, bracing for her to grab the nearest blunt object and go full throttle on me, or scream like a banshee at me till her throat gave out. What was she going to do? Well, let me tell you exactly what she did. Nothing. No curses, no screaming, no tears, nothing. She just stared at me numbly, her lovely amber eyes boring straight through me, right through to my soul. I think this scared me more than any other reaction could have. I wasn't expecting this. Silence? Because of that, I didn't know what I was supposed to do or say. 
However, this hurt me because deep down, her silence was more deafening than her screaming. She hated me. Sheila, I love you. I'm sorry. My voice began to crack as I said this. Tears started stinging my eyes. These were tears of complete shame and disgust with myself. Still, she just stood there, staring. Sheila, please, I'm, I'm sorry. Nothing. She did not move. Motionless. Still. Numb. Sheila, I whimpered. Please, baby, say something. Silence. My heart rate began spiking. Please, say something, goddammit. I grabbed her shoulders, wasn't about to shake her, when I felt her hands slowly grab mine. Her hands were as gentle as they always were, yet somehow I could feel the malice emanating from them as she gently removed my hands from around her shoulders. Don't, she said in a voice as monotone as an answering machine. Her face hadn't changed. She still stared straight through me. Don't worry about it. I don't even care anymore. What? What do you... I don't care, Ted. I don't care anymore about your apology, your your excuses, your affair. You couldn't come clean on a multiple times I gave you, so I gave up. I was speechless. I scrambled to find something, anything to say, to tell her that she was wrong, to tell her that things could be different, would be different, having ditched Clarissa for good. But how could I? She was right. I had ample opportunities to fess up and instead continued to lie through my teeth to her face so I could keep doing it. Sheila, baby, I... I said I don't care anymore. And I mean it. She then turned and walked into our room. I followed after her. Wait, Sheila, I cried. Please, let me make it up to you. She didn't respond. I saw her begin zipping up her old suitcase with all her clothes inside. What is this? I asked, despite knowing good and damn well what was going on. I can't be here anymore, Ted. This house is full of lies. I'm moving back in with my mother. My heart stopped. She zipped up the last suitcase and started toward the door when I stopped her. Please, wait. Give me one more chance, I begged. I've given you multiple chances. I'm done. End of story. She attempted to push past me. I stayed firm, blocking the doorway. Look, please don't go. I'll do anything. Just please don't go. She looked into my eyes again, letting go of the suitcases. I had her attention. Anything. She asked, her voice remaining as dead as before. Anything you want, I promise. Whatever you want from me or want me to do, baby, it's yours. She just stood for a solid minute, squinting, her eyes piercing into me like she was weighing the sincerity of my statement with her eyes. Her blank face returned, and she said, turning and climbing into bed, We'll see. I'm tired but can't sleep with a cheating bastard lying next to me. Of course, I said, trying to hold in my breath of relief. Still had a chance to fix what's been broken. Sleep on the couch as long as... Oh, no, she piped up. 
I don't want you in this house with me tonight. I swallowed hard. Oh, uh, of course, hon. I said reluctantly. I then turned and left the room. I then walked out and decided to camp in the car for the night. My car is a small 2006 Altima, which meant that trying to get comfortable in it was a frigging nightmare in itself. What was worse was that being in the summertime and all, it felt like it was 95 degrees or better, despite it being nighttime. I couldn't turn on the AC either, or I'd risk running out of the battery. It was unpleasant, sure. But if it was what you wanted, well... I didn't get much sleep that night. The sun took its sweet time coming back up, too, which didn't help. Nevertheless, I managed to power through and catch maybe 45 minutes to an hour's worth of sleep before 6 a.m. rolled around, bringing the first hints of dawn. Part of me was relieved. I thought maybe she'd at least let me back in the house now, right? I'd go back in the house, we'd talk it over, and I don't know, maybe I'd spend a few nights on the couch or something, right? Ha! How naive. No, instead, when I got out of the car and tried to go inside, the door was locked. My key wasn't working either. Somehow, it was like something was lodged in the keyhole on the other side. I stood there jerking on the handle like a maniac for another minute when my phone buzzed. I looked to see that it was a text from Sheila. Don't even think about it. I don't want you in that same house with me. My eyes went wide. I looked up to our bedroom window to see Sheila standing there, staring down at me. I started typing back. Okay, but I'd like to talk to you about this. I looked up to see her begin typing again. Not ready to talk just yet. I'm not sure what I want from you yet, if anything. My heart sank again, reading those last two words. If anything. Those two words stung me more than I ever thought they could. Desperately, I started typing back. I I understand. Just let me know when you're ready to talk. As I said, I'll do anything you want. I just want to start over. I love you. A minute later, my phone buzzed again with a reply. We'll see. That was the last thing that was said before she drew the curtains and walked away from the window. I sighed. Part of me wanted to cry. I really wanted to make things work here. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. Just calm down, Ted. Let her think about it. With that, I decided to get back in my car and drive around to look for a place to stay until Sheila was ready to talk again. Or at least let me in the house again. Whichever came first, I suppose. I decided to get a room at the hotel just a few streets down. It wasn't cheap, but I guess that was really only a small price to pay in the end, given what I'd done. Hell, it was a hell of a lot smaller price to pay than the situation I'm in now. God damn it, Sheila. I'm sorry. It was that night that I got a text from her. Did you mean what you said? My heart was instantly sent racing. Yes, of course. I love you. I've always loved you. I promise. I meant it, too, when I say that it eats me inside, knowing that I've hurt you. I meant about you saying you'd do whatever I wanted. Do you mean that? 
paused for a moment. I wasn't sure how to proceed. Of course, I wanted to shoot back with yes, dear, anything immediately. But for whatever reason, something, I don't know, just some feeling, told me something was just off somehow. Do you, Ted? This jolted my focus again. I began typing. Yes, Sheila, I meant that. I love you and I want to make things work. Can we talk about this in person? She didn't respond after this, though. That night was spent with me pacing the hotel room, constantly checking my phone despite my ringer being on. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. My head and heart both felt like they were in a race with one another. Seeing which one would make me go dizzy first with how rapidly they both spun in a chaotic spiral. Why wouldn't she answer? What was she talking about? Did I mean it? What was she planning? What did she want from me? That, I think, was probably what tore me up most. Just like before, I wasn't sure what to expect from her. We'd been married almost two years, and never had I seen her like this, so cold and bitter. Uh, yeah, I get it. I messed up. Bad. But that just made this all more confusing to me. Especially with how she asked if I'd do anything. What was she trying to do here? Even cycling through every conceivable possibility, I couldn't settle on any definitive answer to that question. Obviously, because of this, the idea of trying to sleep that night was a pipe dream. I stayed glued to my phone all through the night, anticipating a text or anything from Sheila. But nothing came. It wasn't until that morning that I was abruptly jolted to attention by the buzz of a text message. I swiped my phone in one fluid motion to see what it was. It was a message from Clarissa. Hey, so I thought you didn't want to see me anymore. My mind was quickly overloading with all new questions, on top of the already damn innumerable present about why Clarissa was hitting me up. I texted back that I didn't that we were done for asking her why she still had my number. Well, and why does it say on your Facebook that you're planning on a date with me to the drive-in theater in an hour? Now I was thrown. I was about to call her out, telling her to cut it out with whatever game she was trying to play with me here, and lose my number, when she shot back with a screen cap of the Facebook post. It was a post for me from my profile that had her tagged, reading, 
Can't wait to see you there, baby doll. Besides this, we're a flirt and a kissy face. I was frozen. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I had to go into my Facebook to see if this was real. Sure as hell it was. But how? Up till right then, I'd not even been on Facebook. I hadn't even glimpsed it. Far less posted it. Yet there it was. Posted to my feed only about two hours before. I... I didn't post that. Uh-huh. You sure you didn't? Just like you didn't want to have me no more. She followed this with a wink emoji and a kiss. Damn it, I'm serious. I don't know what's happening here, but I didn't write that. I don't want to see you anymore. I want to be with my wife. I lose my number and don't text or call me again. Uh, she responded with a flirty face. Okay, okay, Tiger, I get it. Playing hard to get, huh? We'll see about that. I was about to block her number when something odd struck me about that last message. We'll see about that. I wasn't sure why at that moment, but it sounded ominous to me. See about what? She didn't answer after that, though. I looked again at the Facebook post. It can't be right. Something's up, I know it, I thought. Exactly what the something was, though, at the time, was, of course... Just as much a uh, good a guess as anyone else. All I knew was that nothing made sense here. Why was Clarissa thinking I wanted to go on a date with her to the old drive-in after I made it brutally clear to her that I was done with fooling around on my wife with her? Then I realized something else. Why there? That old spot doesn't even have the drive-in anymore. It's just a vacant lot with... Only the old equipment shed at the back behind where the screen used to be, having sat long abandoned for a couple of years now. Why would she think I wanted to take her there? My phone buzzed again. This time it was a text from Sheila. Come by the house in two hours. I've thought about it. And I think I'm ready to talk to you about this. I wanted to jump both out of joy but also out of my skin in fear. What should I tell her about my date with Clarissa? I mean, I did make that post, but what good was that telling her? She wouldn't believe it. I know that's my own damn fault for having lied to her so many times before, but damn it, I was over that now. I was over, Clarissa. Maybe she doesn't know. I closed my eyes. Just calm down. Calm down. She said she wants to give you one last shot. I took a deep breath. Just keep your head down. Give her what she wants and forget Clarissa. With that, I got dressed and headed up. I stopped by the flower shop and grabbed a bouquet of flowers, specifically requesting carnations and roses, her favorites. When I got to the house about 20 minutes early, I shot her a text that I was outside waiting. Two seconds later, the phone buzzed. One minute. The problem. Take your time, hon. I followed this with a snap of the flowers, a short preview to show that I was serious. I wanted to start over with it. She didn't reply. But another ten minutes rolled by and nothing was going on. I thought about wanting to try texting her again to see if everything was still all right. I quickly thought better of it, though. Be patient. Remember, this is about her. 
Only another minute or so more, I saw the house's front door open. Sheila stepped out onto the front porch, looking absolutely drop-dead beautiful. Talking. She looked like she did when she was 18, in her senior year of high school, when we'd first met. Tight blue tank top, skinny jeans, but no makeup. She never needed any. Not back then. Sure as hell not now. She was looking at me, smiling. My heart started cutting backflips in my chest. Hope wasn't lost. There was still a chance I could save my marriage. You look beautiful, honey, I said, excited. She giggled. I tried to put my arm around her, but stopped when she recoiled away from me. For a second, her smile fell, and she replaced it with one of disapproval. I retracted back myself. We still weren't at hugging level yet. I held my hand up and lowered my head. My bad. Forgiven. Now let's go. I've got the perfect place in mind. Where? Her look of disapproval returned. It's not to worry your head about. You just drive. I'll lead the way. She told me to return to the right and head toward the downtown road. She began heading downtown in relative silence, broken only whenever Sheila gave me another direction to turn. Not that I didn't want to talk far from it. At the same time, though, something gave me the impression she wouldn't be reciprocating the feeling. I just bowed my head, conceding before turning the engine over and backing out of the driveway. Turn here and stop, she said, pointing to the right turn, branching off the main part of the downtown area. I did so, leading us to where else but the empty parking lot where the old drive-in theater used to be was confused, obviously, but even more than this, I was nervous. It didn't help either that Clarissa's Honda was parked out front. What the hell? What's she doing here? I could feel sweat forming in bullets from my forehead, dropping like rain. My heart rate was through the roof. What was I going to do? What's she going to say when Clarissa sees me and tries to get all lovey-dovey with me. Why does she want to come here? I turned to her, trying not to make it look so obvious that something didn't feel right to me. I didn't want her to lose her patience. Plus, I was banking on her not having seen the mysterious Facebook post that I didn't create in the first place. I needed this to work with Sheila and me. This would have screwed things up every which way from Sunday. She looked back at me, smiling. I noticed she looked like she was genuinely excited about whatever was going on, whatever she had planned. This only further confused me. What could she be so excited for? There's literally nothing there, just an old abandoned shed. Still smiling, she turned and started getting out of the car. Come on, follow me. Hey, wait, I said, gently placing my hand on her shoulder. She stopped, turning back to me. What's going on? How come you wanted me to come here? There's nothing around here. Just trust me and follow. I stayed seated, unmoving. I didn't feel right getting out of the car. Something just felt off, way off. Her smile started to fall once again. You said anything, remember? That made me sigh and relent. I unbuckled my seatbelt and followed her toward the shed. 
About halfway there, I watched her pull what looked to be a blindfold out of her purse. I stopped walking. Babe, what's that for? She turned and smiled slyly at me, adding an equally sly wink. It was the same one she used to use when we decided to spice things up in the bedroom. What do you think? We haven't had any real fun in a while. She walked up and ran her hands gently up my chest. If we're going to start over, Teddy Bear, why not go wild with it? Despite how nice it felt for her to touch me again like this, I still couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right here. Oh, uh, okay. I replied, chuckling nervously. But, uh, why here in the middle of nowhere? How come we couldn't have just done this at home, you know? In our bed? She sighed. First, until you make things up with me, that bed isn't ours. Second, why not here? Don't you remember? That Friday night, last day of senior year? This was where we first did it. That actually hit me hard for a moment. She was right. This was our first spot. I'd actually forgotten. I couldn't help but feel like an even bigger jackass than I already no doubt was. Uh, you're right, I said guiltily. She rose and gave me a quick yet sensuous peck on the cheek before leaning into my ear and whispering in a smooth, balmy whisper. I know. Trust me, Teddy. I'll always know more than you'll ever think I do. I've always known how naughty you'd been, and I know how to teach you to never do it again. She then followed this by playfully biting my earlobe. Admittedly, this did start to excite me a bit. Clarissa never played like that. I'd forgotten how good she was at that. This still didn't shake the queasy feeling in the pit of my stomach, though. She then handed me the blindfold and told me to put it on. I obeyed, and she took me by the hand and led me the rest of the way to the shed. I couldn't see anything, but I eventually heard the large metal door of the shed loudly creaking open. I felt Sheila let go of my hand and say, Okay. Now take the blindfold off. I did. And what I saw next was enough to make my heart stop dead in my chest. In front of me, illuminated by the light from the open doorway, was Clarissa, tied to a chair in the middle of the room, with cuts, gashes, and bruises covering nearly every square inch of her face. She looked up at me, her eyes glazed and pitiful pathetic, "'What the hell?' I exclaimed, frozen in shock. "'My shock was broken, however, "'when I felt something clocked me over in the back of my head. "'I was instantly knocked out cold. "'I awoke, don't even bother asking me how much later, "'it was to have frigid ice-cold water thrown in my face. "'My head was swimming, throbbing, and aching, "'worse than any migraine I'd ever had before. "'I saw that I was tied to a chair around now, too. In front of me, Clarissa now stood, stripped down to her broad underwear, clutching a knife in one hand. Behind her was Sheila, staring at me with that same cold expression she wore when I told her that night about the affair. I groaned weakly. What? Sheila stepped forward. 
this is how you're going to make it up to me, Ted. You like playing rough, and you love messing around with it. Well, here you go. Now you'll play as rough as you want. Clarissa took a step forward, raising up the knife. Her eyes were also wide and afraid. I started squirming against my restraints. What are you doing, Sheila? Look, just let us go. She walked up and delivered a sharp smack across my left cheek and stung. I'm giving you what you deserve, asshole. You wanted to fool around my back with this bitch and then lie to my face about it every time? And I just let it go, didn't I? I didn't answer at first, instead trying fruitlessly to wriggle out of the ropes. She smacked me across the face again, harder this time. Didn't I? Yes! shouted, groaning in pain. I let you have your little fun and rip my heart in half. Now I'm going to get what I want. Have some of my fun. She grinned slyly again. This time, though, it looked a lot less seductive and a hell of a lot more psychotic. She then stroked my cheek and said, I want to see how much you love me. Tell me, Teddy dear, did you mean it when you said anything? I looked at her, silently pleading like a dog for her to stop all of this, and let me and Clarissa go. I could see in her eyes that she was enjoying every second of seeing me like that, completely at her mercy. The devious way in which her smile grew confirmed this. Yes, I muttered. She cupped her hand to her ear, teasing like she didn't hear me. Yes, okay, I said it. I love you, Sheila, and yes... I'll do anything you want, okay? Let's just go home, please. She giggled and looked over to Clarissa, who stood holding the knife, frightened. Prove it. I want you to kill her for me. My blood froze. No, no, Sheila, no. I can't kill her. So you were lying? No. Sheila, this is insane. Look, I'm sorry, okay? I am. I'm sorry. You deserve better, but damn it, I'm not killing Clarissa. Her smile vanished, and she untied the ropes holding me. Before I could try and run for the door, however, I felt Sheila crack a metal rod over my kneecap, instantly breaking my leg and causing me to fall to the ground, writhing in agony. She bent down to me and whispered to me, Then you can do it for yourself, since that's the only person you care about it. You want out? You want to live? Kill her and send me a pic of the body. Oh, and try being cute and calling the cops, and I'll make damn sure they never find you. She held up her phone, turned on a live feed inside the shed, and said, And like I told you, I'll know if you're being naughty. She then thrust my phone into my chest before turning and walking out. I'll be waiting, sweetheart. She said as she closed the giant metal door, locking the two of us inside. Clarissa stirred, quivering. I continued writhing on the ground, groaning and clutching my leg. Suddenly, Clarissa started walking towards me, knife in hand. I couldn't move. I was defenseless, completely at her mercy. She came right on top of me. I closed my eyes. This was it. I was screwed. Clank. I opened my eyes to see that she had dropped the knife 
She then crumpled to the ground and started crying softly. What? What are we going to do? I don't know. The doors are locked and we can't call for help. I winced and yelped in pain. The pain was shooting from my leg all throughout my body. Clarissa knelt over me. Here, she said, sniffling. Let me see her leg. She gently rolled up my pant leg. My kneecap was shown to be completely broken, protruding against my skin at an unnatural angle. Oh my God, are you okay? I didn't pay attention to her. Instead, my eyes were focused on the knife laying on the ground, less than a foot away from me. She began frantically looking around the room. There's got to be a key somewhere. Hang on. She got up and started pacing around, looking on every corner for a key. A key that I knew wasn't anywhere in there. There was only one key to get out. Hey, come here. I said, groaning. She didn't hear me at first. While she was still not looking, I reached out and grabbed the knife. Clarissa, I found it. I found the key. You did? Yeah, I just... Come over here and get it so you can unlock the door. I, I can't get up. She stopped and ran over to me. She bent down and started looking around. Where am I? She got no further. The next and last thing I'd hear out of Clarissa was the sounds of her choking and gasping desperately for air. Her eyes bugged out at me. Looking into her eyes, I could see two emotions mixing. Betrayal and horror. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Soon she stopped gasping, collapsed, lifeless. I couldn't help but scream out in anguish at this. I couldn't believe what I'd just done. I'd just killed somebody. Not just that, but somebody that, even though they'd helped in destroying my marriage, I actually cared about. As Sheila said, the worst part was that it was just for my own selfish gain. But what else was I supposed to do? I said I'd do anything. I'm afraid, though, that it may have been for nothing. Not knowing what else to do, I snapped a picture of Clarissa and sent it to Sheila, but she didn't reply. That was three days ago. I'm still trapped in there with no way out and unable to even call or move for help. All of this, and I still haven't heard a single word from her. I'm scared. I'm gonna die here, aren't I? You see this, Sheila? You happy now? I'm sorry, goddammit. Can I please be let out? God, anybody, I'll do whatever you want me. Just let me out. I hope you enjoyed What Sheila Wants by Corpse Child, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale, and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash corpse-child. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash c-o-r-p-s-e dash c-h-i-l-d. 
read his stories from his Corpse Child Gospel Reddit page, or perhaps pick one of 13 collected stories in his Damned Whispers book, available for purchase on Amazon in paperback and ebook. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him on the show and that I sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Just so you know, Sheila did let him out. Eventually. I've heard they've gotten back together, though he's not been well the past few months. A shell of his former self. Practically falling apart. You might even say he's been dead for a while and rotting away into nothing. But I kid. I'm sure he's just fine. Surely. I know after a harrowing event like that, though, I'd need a vacation. Maybe take a cruise, see some exotic ports, wonder exactly how many laws are observed in international waters. While some people say there's no experience quite like being out on the ocean waters, some experiences can be, well, less pleasant than others. With that in mind, let's listen in to the tale of a fellow whose trip turns out to be a lot more than through the water. Without further ado, I present to you the Mediterranean Encounter. Before we get into things here, let me ask you a question. What would you say if you were told by a close friend of yours that you've known all your life that they encountered something strange in the ocean while on a cruise? Would you believe them? Just something to sort of think about as you read this. As I kind of just said, the story isn't mine. Actually, I have nothing to do with it in any way. I wouldn't be here now telling you any of this if it weren't for the fact that he refuses to write out this story himself. Honestly, I can't blame him for being against the idea. For several reasons, you'll probably understand better as you read this. I have my own reasons for doing this, as well. The biggest one is that, if on any possible chance what I told is true, then this shouldn't stay quiet, I guess, as well as this. I want to help him to reach out and see if anyone else has had this happen, or knows about what was described to me here. Maybe it can help me understand it all a bit better, too. Douglas and I had been friends since the sandbox. We'd gone through just about everything two youngsters could back in the day. We went through school together, hung out, got into all kinds of trouble, even ended up spending a few nights in lockup, usually over drunk shenanigans, together. We were brothers, blood be damned. We graduated together, too, which was where we'd ultimately end up going our separate ways. I chose to pursue a bachelor's in IT, while Dougie, at least from what he always used to tell me at the time, went on to pursue a degree in English literature. This was about five and a half years ago now. Over that time, things, of course, evolved in both our lives. I got through a year of university, where I then took up an offer with a company 
specializing in software design. I'd ultimately end up just taking on the career full-time, which I'm confident has been the right choice for my life thus far. During this time, I also met my wife of three years, Liliana. Through all of this, though, I all but completely lost touch with Douglas. That was until yesterday. It was honestly a chance encounter, a freak accident, if you will. I was at the cafe just at the edge of town waiting for my order when he was sitting down next to me. It felt like a scene out of a movie at first, you know? Two childhood friends meeting up again after years of being apart, not recognizing each other at first. That changed almost immediately when he gave his order, though, with me recognizing his voice. So much had changed about him physically, looking far more grown and hardened than the last time we'd seen each other. He'd grown, too. I used to eclipse him by a good two feet, give or take a few inches. Now, though, I was only meeting about chin level with him. In spite of all this, though, his voice... His deep yet smooth voice was just as distinct as ever. No way, I said, turning to him with a shock plastered all across my face. Douglas? Dougie? That you? He turned to look at me. Like me, he didn't recognize me at first. He just sat there, looking bewildered at me until I told him who I was. His eyes went wide like mine, and he exclaimed, Alan? then jumped up from our stools, laughing and hugging. It was a moment that was every bit surreal as it was heartwarming. Soon, my order was ready, and I offered for him to sit and have lunch with me. He accepted, and we spent the next half hour or so, laughing with memories of old times, as well as catching up with each other on current events while waiting on his order. He ordered two well-done large New York-style steaks, and a large basket of fries, requesting all to be made fresh. That's how this particular topic first came up. The strangest thing to happen to both of us in the five years since we'd last spoken. I remember I'd just thrown the topic out as kind of a joke. You know, a sort of, now that we've established what's currently going on in each other's lives, what else is there to really talk about? Type of icebreaker. I went first, telling him about the night I managed to catch a meteor shower while out driving late one night. Following them was what I could only describe as a large, dark, twisting shadow far off in the distance, shaped like an eight-sided sort of star or something. This was a true story, something that actually happened, but I'm not going to dive into any more of that on here. Again, this isn't about me. This is about Douglas's story. Thinking about it now, though, after I'd heard it, I'm curious now just how much the two events might be connected in some way. Douglas seemed to think as much, also. Almost immediately after I told him about that, his face looked similar to how a veteran would when talking about time in the field. Hey, is everything okay? I asked him. What's wrong? He didn't reply at first. He just sat there across from me, staring right at me yet through me at the same time. My mind started hurriedly trying to come up with an apology and a way to try and change the subject when I heard him take a deep breath. I stopped and prepared to listen. From there he told me the following story. 
his account of the strangest experience at sea, which he and I both have affectionately dubbed the Mediterranean Encounter. I haven't edited any of his words or the way he said them, nor have any of the names he mentioned been changed. It was mine and Donna's sixth anniversary. Can you imagine? Six years. I could never tell you how I've managed to keep it around that long. We decided this year to make the cruise through the Mediterranean. It was one of those things we both wanted desperately to do for years, but something neither of us had the money nor available time for. Not until the end of about two months ago, that is, when I was told that I had accrued vacation time. Paid, too. So, seeing this as an opportunity that didn't come around once, I started making every possible arrangement. I managed to score us a decent luxury package on the cruise, including the unlimited all-you-can-eat buffet pass, unlimited use of the spa, hot tubs, and swimming pools, and unlimited free Wi-Fi plus free use of their Netflix subscription. It cost a pretty penny, sure, but for what Donna's put up with for six whole years, it was more than worth it. Hey, good thing the time was paid, right? We'd spend the better part of those last 10 or 11 days making sure we had everything, which of course meant shelling out even more money than we already were. Anyway, by about 5.30 that Friday morning, we were up bright and early, headed for the docks where the cruise liner was. We got there about 6.45, about a half hour or so, before the scheduled loading time. Apparently, we weren't the only ones either. There were about a dozen and a half others camping there when we arrived. Donna found this, relieving, while I found it funny, you know? Gotta wonder what time they dragged their asses out of bed, right? Well, anyway, we joined them, and Donna starts chatting with a few of them immediately. You may or may not remember, I don't exactly do the best with crowds. So I was just standing there, waiting on the boat to arrive, minding myself... Uh, when I noticed the others just staring daggers at me. I mean, this man looked like he was primed to jump me at the drop of a hat. Obviously, I didn't know who he was or what had him all in a bad mood, and I wasn't about to try to ask him about it either. I tried to ignore him, making as little eye contact as possible, while still keeping a loose eye on him just in case he was off his rocker and had plans for my early funeral. He didn't move, just stood there, staring daggers at me. No one else seemed to notice him either. I did notice, though, that his attention wasn't actually fixed completely on me. I saw his eyes move around, glaring at everyone else the same as he was with me. I didn't say anything about it, given that he hadn't done anything yet. I still kept my eye on him, though. His eyes, there was something wrong with more times I took passes, glances, back and forth from him. The more I saw he wasn't all right, you know. I didn't really see what at first. But after a moment, I saw that his eyes were dark, looking almost pitch black, almost like he didn't have no eyes. I know, I know. Sounds weird and all, right? I see the look on your face. Trust me, I get it. I honestly would have thought the same. Hell, if what happened after hadn't happened, I'd have thought my eyes were just going story with me, getting old and all. Anyway, there's a small crowd of us there in the docks, mingling around, yakking. 
As time passed closer and closer to the time to board, more people started coming. As they did, as they started mingling in themselves, I began to lose sight of them. Of course, I'm still on edge about this guy, so I'm trying to wade through the crowd as much as I can to find him. Unfortunately, by that time, so many people were showing up, and we're there on the dock that trying to find him was a harder challenge than where's Waldo. The thing is, apart from his eyes, like I mentioned, it wasn't like he really stuck out in any way. The only things I thought might have helped pick him out of the lineup were that he was young, kind of athletic looking, like how you were when you tried out for varsity basketball back in the day, you know? He looked honestly like every other guy present, tall, light-colored t-shirt, khaki shorts, sandals, you know, typical beachwear. Even that wasn't much help, though, given that a bunch of the newcomers also fit that description just about as well. I must have spent a good five minutes or so trying to find the sucker, bumping all around everybody there when the cruise liner finally pulled in. I tried to keep looking, but you know how it goes with that sort of thing. People were flocking to board, which meant I was essentially dragged along. I tried to press forward for about another minute and a half before finally giving up, realizing that I couldn't even see Donna no more. It took me damn near 15 or 20 minutes just to find her again. Not that she gave a damn. When I found her, she'd already gone and unpacked our stuff in our suite and everything. For a while after that, you know, things were just fine. Donna started making use, good use, of the unlimited spy access, while I decided to hit the casino, even managing to come away with a decent winning by the time I left. Honestly, I just about forgot about the kid from the docks. Like I said, I thought at the time that maybe I was just spooking myself. Well, believe it or not, the next thing I know, I actually spot him at the other end of the hallway outside the casino, leading to the swimming pool area. Like he was on the docks, he was just standing around, standing and menacingly staring at everyone in the room. Almost wanted to duck and cover, you know? Like he was about to break postal or something. But he didn't do or say anything, he just stood, glaring. I told Donna to meet me back in the room while I went to check on some. Of course, I was going to try talking to this guy. See what his deal was, why he was giving everybody the evil eye. I went up to him. He just stood there still, like he was a statue or something. I asked him, Hey, pal, what's your deal? You looking for somebody? He didn't say nothing, just kept staring. Like last time, I noticed he wasn't even looking at me, but rather at everybody. Finally, he actually went and looked at me. Call it whatever you like, a delayed reaction or whatever. But it was right then that I realized I was right about what I'd said before, about his eyes. I swear to God, Alan, those weren't human eyes. The rest of them looked perfectly normal, sure, but those eyes of his. No, no. Those were the eyes of... I don't know what. They weren't of a person, that's for damn sure. They looked like two pieces of coal were embedded in his skull. Let me put it to you this way. Remember that old movie, Village of the Damned? All the creepy little kids standing around with their pitch black eyes? It's a lot like what he looked like. I tried to ask him again what he was doing. This time he looked at me and opened his mouth like he was about to say something. But his mouth, it opened up, 
wider than I thought possible. Then I heard him let out a sound, and it sounded like some sort of wheezing sound, like he was having trouble breathing or something. I almost didn't catch him when he actually said something, because it startled me so bad. His voice, if you could call it that, I guess, sounded like what I'd imagined the Grim Reaper sounded like. All hoarse and raspy, like a snake almost. You must escape. I think is what he said. Something like that, anyway. Again, I wasn't sure, given that I barely registered any kind of words from how he was talking. I know it had something to do with escaping something. What exactly, though, would have been just as good anybody's guess as it was mine. I looked at him, obviously getting pretty nervous now. I mean, hell, what would you have done if it was you, Al, standing there, locked in a staring contest with this guy and all, but suddenly he starts talking all funny about escaping. I asked him if he was all right and what was wrong with his eyes. He answered with this. The star is coming. You all must flee, flesh child. Then, before I could do or say anything, the sucker takes off like a bat out of hell. I was left standing in the middle of the hallway, completely lost. Who in the name of God was this guy, and what was his deal, you know? I was about to follow after him when I felt Donna pulling me away. I looked at her, probably looking confused as all get out, because she asked me if everything was all right. She asked me who I was talking to, to which I answered, I have absolutely no goddamn clue. Being honest here, Alan, I still don't know who, or maybe what he was, or really what he was doing there. Anyway, so Donna and I head back to the room and order room service and all that. That night, she fell asleep watching TV using the most of the unlimited cable Wi-Fi while I just lay there wide awake. For whatever reason, I couldn't get that guy out of my head for the life of me. I couldn't stop picturing his eyes, his raspy voice. Mostly, though, I couldn't stop wondering just what the hell he meant with what he said. I kept thinking about what it was he said we had to run from. The star, he said. What star, though? This led me to start looking through my news feeds on my phone, seeing if there was maybe some kind of asteroid or something supposedly headed toward Earth. I figured maybe you'd just seen something like that on the Internet. It was now running around trying to spook people that the world was ending. At least that was the best sort of explanation I had at first. You know how kids are. Just about everything they see on the Internet would be holy writ. If they see something about the world ending, they'll start doing weird stuff. Including, I guess, wearing scary-looking eye lenses and talking all funny. But even that wasn't adding up because he'd been blatantly searching star colliding with Earth. But it wasn't anything of the sort. It wasn't until about three or four in the morning before I managed to finally shut my eyes and get some sleep. In spite of this, though, I'm still tossing and turning. I was having the absolute weirdest nightmare, Al. I was seeing these groups of creatures, aliens of some sort, I guess. Some of them were sort of like people, but didn't have no skin. It was like I was looking at a person without skin. There were a bunch of them, too. 
All these skinless things. The weirder with their heads. They all had these wriggling heads that seemed to squirm around constantly. I remember thinking just how disgusting and creepy it looked. The others, though, were almost worse as far as looking freaky. They didn't even begin to look human. I honestly don't even know how to try and describe them. They had five of these weird-looking arms, or tentacles or something. On each of them, though, were these elongated sort of faces that looked like they were screaming. The two seemed to be fighting about something. I don't know what, obviously. They were on this gross-looking planet where the ground looked like living tissue. If like it, too, didn't have any skin. If that makes any sense to you. Skinless ones were just ripping the others apart, you know? That's when, from seemingly everywhere and nowhere, at the same time, I heard that same raspy voice saying, It's coming for us! Or something like that. Then I remember seeing something big in the sky. It looked like the things the skinless ones were beating up, right? Except this thing was gigantic. It had eight arms instead of five, like the others. The center of it, though, was this giant hole, like a mouth or something. It began swallowing everything all. Instantly, I watched everything get sucked up into it. That's when I woke up, sweating like a pig. I remember my heart was pounding something fierce. When I woke up, it was morning out. Donna was coming out of the bathroom from getting ready. She must have seen me panicking over something, because she started asking me if everything was okay. I didn't know what to tell her at first. I told her I just had a nightmare, like the ones I used to have when we'd first start seeing each other about me and her getting caught up in some fatal accident on the road, or something. How was I supposed to explain that, you know? Plus, I figured once again, it was just a stupid nightmare, right? No sense in getting her all riled up over my head, screwing with me. Shaking all that off the best I could, I took her off her to go get breakfast. This seemed to do the trick at first. Helped, of course, by the fact that they were serving blueberry pancakes and bacon. You know me, Al, but I can't say no to a nice spread like that. Well, anyway, I sit down with my plate and start digging in when, who do I see? It's a weird-eyed kid again. This time, though, he looked completely normal. His eyes weren't black no more. They were just regular-looking eyes. He was acting normal, too, just sitting there with his plate of food, yakking with someone, a buddy of his, I guess, like you and I are now. I was confused all over again. I wanted to go over and ask him again what the deal was with the previous day, but I didn't. I didn't want to cause a scene. Plus, I wasn't sure at the time how much of what I'd been talking about actually happened. Even still, I kept my eye on him, just in case, you know. After breakfast was over, I told Donna I was going to go out in the deck for a while, taking pictures. She told me to make sure to get a few of the Greek mainline, uh, wanting to put those in their scrapbook. From there, she said she'd be spending the day in the spa and meet her back in the suite later that night. Now, Al, understand, I wasn't actually wanting to take pictures or anything like that. No, I was wanting to go topside because that's where I saw the kid in. And before you say it, I know exactly how that sounds. But I couldn't just shake the feeling 
of something being off about him. If it was just an act, I still wanted to know why. Why was he trying to spook me like that? Was he dangerous? Was he just acting all nice and gentle now to make me drop my guard? What, if anything, was he planning to do? I was on edge, and this nice guy act he had on now wasn't making me feel no better. So I grabbed the camera and went to the deck. I was snapping pictures, some of the scenery, yeah, but also a few of the weird-looking kid, too. Like he was in the cafeteria, and he was just soaking in the hot tub, giggling with a couple young honeys acting all casual. I must have watched him for at least the better part of an hour and a half. After that, though, I gave up, seeing that he wasn't doing nothing suspicious or Plus, I saw my camera was out of film, so I had to return to the room. While I was on my way back to the room, I heard it again, a weird, snakish voice. It said, The flesh will not survive. The star has found us again. I remember looking around, trying to see where it was coming from. I started kind of freaking out, too, when I didn't see nobody around, you know? Felt like I was just losing it. Started feeling somewhat dizzy, right? Then, out of nowhere, everything around me just immediately goes dark, and I started seeing those things from the night before. The star-looking ones. They started appearing all around me. One of them spoke again, saying, Come with us. Flee to the ghast. What? I asked him. I was in such a frenzy. Wondering what the hell was going on. Who, or rather, what these creatures, or whatever they were, and what they'd even said. Before I said anything else, though, I watched the things sort of blended together, morphing, or joining together to form a big ball that squirmed and wriggled, like I said earlier, with the head of the other things, you know? Then it said, The ghast, the moon that lives. I wanted to scream. It was absolutely disgusting and frightening to look at the thing, whatever it or they were. Then it said, We brought you here. We saved you. Then I started seeing that giant star again. The one I told you about from my dream the night before. I saw it as well as a whole sort of universe. I watched as everything around me, stars, planets... And these three sons, yes, I said three sons, get swallowed whole by the thing like it was a Dyson vacuum cleaner. It spoke again, saying, We saved you from the star, from chaos, but he has found us again. Now, Alan, before I go any I need you to know that everything I'm telling you right now, everything I heard was real. Understand? I know for a fact I wasn't dreaming anything in that moment or with anything I saw and heard afterward. This ain't just another dream I'm talking about right now. I saw everything shift back to the weird sort of landscape I saw from my nightmare again. I saw the creatures fighting again with the skinless people just absolutely brutalizing the other ones. Everywhere, left and right. I mean, they were just merciless. 
Next thing I see, though, is the eight-armed giant sucking this planet up like the rest. I then see the star looking one sort of carrying one of the skinless ones through space, you know, ferrying it. Eventually, I watched it get released, and it woke up. That's not the strangest part, Alan. What I saw next, what I saw it do, made my heart stop. I watched it create the world. I mean, planet Earth. Created by this tiny little alien, using its own sinewy-looking mass to form the planet and everything in it. I was speechless. I didn't even have it in me to make any sort of sound. I mean, this couldn't have been real, could it? But it was. I don't know how to prove it yet, but I know everything I saw was real. It was then when I saw it, and I know it still is now. From there, I watched the evolutionary cycle of the Earth, or should I say, cycles. You see, from what I saw, Al, Earth reset itself. Creature, the skinless thing from the devoured planet, every so often sort of hits factory reset on the world. And what happens to us? Well, every creature alive turns on one another, killing and eating each other alive until only one is left. That one then becomes one of them, one of the skinless people from the other planet. Why, you ask? be damned if I ever knew. I don't think we're supposed to, either. I think it's one of those things people talk about being incomprehensible to humans. You know? Something we could never understand. God knows I don't, then or now. Well, either way, I was brought back to the real world by feeling somebody pulling at my arms. There's the kid again. When I was in my senses again, I found that I was Somehow, for whatever reason, standing on the edge of the cruise liner like I was about to jump or something. Just faintly, I could hear them whispering, still in that same raspy, hissing voice. Come, flee this world. Flish, child. Come with us to the ghast. I was surrounded by everyone on the ship, including Donna. Kid slowly helped me down. Hey, I asked him, what's going on? How'd I get up there? He replied, telling me that he'd seen me, apparently, walking to the ledge, all weird-looking, according to him, kind of like how I said he was before. He told me I'd start talking all funny, too, saying stuff about Star was coming, or something to that effect. Then he told me that I'd been muttering something about a living moon, about trying to go there when I was walking up to the ledge. That's when it clicked, and I became scared. I was about to jump. I was about to jump in the ocean to my death, and I wasn't in control of my body. I almost died, and I wouldn't have known till it was too late. After that, I essentially bunkered myself inside the suite for the rest of the time. For obvious reasons, I didn't feel safe coming out again. Even though this was a disappointment to Donna, she was willing to put up with it and still have fun, even if I wasn't enjoying it with her. Even still, this didn't make much sense. 
and make it much easier for me. Every night since, including up to last night, I keep seeing it. That giant star beast. I keep seeing it getting closer and closer to us. More than that, though, Al, I can feel it now. I can't explain it, but I feel just this tingling feeling now. This sense, almost like the closer it gets to Earth, the more frantic it becomes. I still wonder if, had I not been stopped, would I have jumped? If I did, what would have happened to me exactly? I'd like to say I'd have drowned, morbid as that sounds. At least that it makes sense, right? But something tells me I might not have. They were telling me to come with them somewhere. A ghost, I think they called it. Though where, or even really, what that is. Now I was apparently going to get there by jumping in the ocean. Well, you'd have to ask someone who ain't me. So yeah, that's the strangest thing to ever happen to me today. Probably to ever happen in the future. Now, I know this is a lot. Trust me, if our places were switched right now, I'd have probably asked you what the hell kind of goofy stuff you've been smoking long ago. But I swear, Alan, this all happened. Everything just the way I said it now. You're probably the only person who will believe me, given what you told me about what you saw. I don't think anyone else will, though. That's why, despite all this happening about two three months ago. I never tried telling anyone any of this. I still hadn't talked about this, any of this, with Donna. I never knew what exactly to say. Being honest, I probably wouldn't have said anything to you until you told me what you saw. I won't lie, though. I'm scared now. This now tells me that everything I saw, everything I was told was true. No, this wasn't too long ago, right? That means this thing really has found us. To say I was lost would be the pinnacle of understatements. I stared at Douglas, wide-eyed and slack-jawed. Not only that, though, I could also feel sinister chills crawl up and down my back. It wasn't long, maybe only a minute, after he'd finished telling me the story that the waiter brought our food. At that point, neither of us was really hungry. We only got a few small bites in each before we decided to call it quits on lunch. After that, Douglas and I exchanged a very brief, very fearful sort of goodbye before splitting our separate ways. In a way, it felt like that'd be the last time we'd ever see each other again. I'll admit, it was only until just a few hours ago, in the middle of the night last night that I started feeling like there was truth to Douglas's story. It was about 3 or 4 a.m. that I woke up, feeling what he described as that same sense or tingling feeling of something approaching. I don't know why or how, but I can feel it getting closer and closer. As I do, I can feel my head begin pounding, and I can hear the same sort of voice as he described, all raspy and hissing. The star is coming. You must flee, flesh child. I hope you enjoyed the Mediterranean encounter by Corpse Child, as performed by yours truly. 
If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash corpse dash child. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash C-O-R-P-S-E dash C-H-I-L-D. His book, Damn Whispers, is available on Amazon with 13 tales of the weird and unusual to haunt you. But if you want the latest, be sure to visit the Corpse Child Gospels on Reddit. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave a kind word and let them know you heard about them here on this show and that me, Otis Shari, sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. As a reminder, if you do decide to give tonight's talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote, and be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure that he would be very much appreciative as well. Thanks again for your support of the show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium, extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Child. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. 
program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jivey channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.